Is there not one in there? I could have sworn there was like a like a paper nah, saints cool. one. I'm cool. I also have packs of strings down there, but I don't know if that'll be able. String to. cheese? Uh, no, like guitar strings. Oh. You can try and eat them, but I wouldn't recommend it. Well, you know, can't be any worse than floss. Have you eaten floss? No. <laughs> have you? <laughs> Hit it. When the movie started, just be quiet. Movie started. Please keep quiet. Quiet, quiet, quiet. <laughs> uh, hello and welcome to week three of New Day, New Movie, the Andy and M podcast. In honor of one of our movies and one, one of, of our, our experiences. experiences this week, we made a little fun intro there. Yeah, and uh, brought to you by Scott, who is a musical genius. <laughs> no, that would have sounded good. If I were a musical genius. Hey, I thought I enjoyed it. And if my opinion doesn't matter, then why are we here? Well, it doesn't. Okay. So why are we here? <laughs> oh, oh, man. Yeah. Let's start off with a quick PSA. Are we going to the PSA? Or do let's, you want to be like, no, let's hey, go this PSA. is where we watch 365 movies <clears throat> in 365 days. No, it's week three. They know or they'll know next week. Whatever. PSA. Sweet. If you go to the movie, if you go to the movies and you're in the theater, shut the fuck up. Yeah, that about sums it up. But I, I do have three cardinal rules for movie etiquette. I just have one. Shut the fuck up. Okay, fine. I have three. <laughs> Tell us your three. Okay, number one. Don't show up late to a movie. Oh, yeah. They gave you 20 minutes of commercials and trailers to like be late if you're going to be late. But the fact that people come in after that is ridiculous. So don't be late. Number two, stay off your cell phone. The only thing I want to see on a screen is the movie and not whatever the fuck you're checking on your Instagram or whatever. Unless it's the any of them podcast Instagram, of course, then I guess I'll approve it. And <laughs> no, <Shameless> plug. <laughs> number three, uh, as Scott said, so elegantly... Shut the fuck up. <laughs> but be quiet. Come on. Like, it's 2021, people. Like, we've done this before. This is nothing new. And obviously, yeah, if you go to a movie and there's nobody else in it, have fun. Talk. Do whatever. As long as, like, the people you're with are fine with that. But there's never not people at movies. Like, there's a, a select few things that we can do right now. And movies are one of them. Just respect uh, yeah, other people. And if you're not enjoying it, that doesn't mean that there aren't other people in the theater who maybe are. Or are trying to enjoy it. Yes. <sighs> this will probably get brought up again, I'm yes, sure. Yes, we'll talk about this on our Saturday movie because that is the experience that we had and it was extremely frustrating. More for Scott than and, me. And well, we we've both have had worse experiences than this in the past, mm -hmm. but it seems like every movie that we've seen in theaters this year has been like this. Yeah, it's been pretty bad. I'd say I'd say most of the theater movies we've seen this year have been like I've I, I don't know. I've never seen anything like it. Just nobody gives a fuck anymore about anybody else or anything. Or I, I don't understand. So much to the point where we're both trying to figure out how to... Open our own movie uh, theater. Yeah, in the future where we just... <laughs> <laughs> we 
we charge you, but if you talk during the movie, we have ushers with baseball bats, and oh, we'll just whoa, round up whoa, the whoa, whole whoa. crew. No, you don't want a whole like <laughs> Haddonfield theme. <laughs> we'll have the whole crew from Halloween Kills with. Just make sure you sign your waiver first, I guess, <laughs> and we'll be fine. Anyway, I apologize. Uh, some of the frustration may have bled over as this just happened this this past weekend. Yeah, but it inspired our new hit single, yes. Movie Started, Just Be Quiet. I thought I released all my frustration into making the song, but... Well, it's only a partial of a song. Well, yeah, could be full in the so, future. So maybe, yeah, we'll once you do that, then the full frustration and, will be will be closure. Yes, once the full song is done. But until Fair then, enough. you still have seventy five percent rage. <laughs> uh, something I guess we should have mentioned in our first two episodes, at least before we jump into these movies, which was brought to our attention by one of our viewers. Thank you. Uh, but we are obviously talking about spoilers during this process. Um, I'm sure you're completely (laughs) aware of that if you've listened to episode one or two at this point. But just moving forward, just be aware. So for anybody who had a movie spoiled from them in our first two episodes, I'm sorry. We're sorry. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) We're sorry. Anyway, welcome to Do Day Do Movie, the podcast where we watch 365 movies in 365 days. I'm Mitch. I'm Scott. Welcome to week three. <laughs> what did we watch this week? Did I say week three all right? Or did I say week two? I don't know what week we're in. It's week three for those of you keeping track. Uh, we're 21 movies in. and For those of you who can read the title of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can't, so I apologize. <laughs> uh, movies we watched this week. We had The Perfection on Monday, followed by Spectral, Censor, The Disaster Artist, Triple X Return of Xander Cage, Last Night in Soho, and Army of Thieves. Yep. Quite the list. I thought we had some pretty decent movies this week and also some really terrible movies this week. Yeah, one in particular, but we'll get to that shortly. Yeah, but uh, let's jump into The Perfection, which is an elegant and terrifying suspense ride filled with unexpected twists and turns. When troubled musical prodigy Charlotte seeks out Elizabeth, the new star people of her former school, the encounter sends both musicians down a sinister path with shocking consequences. Shocking indeed. Yes. Uh, Quite so for me, because I did not know anything about this movie, which I think I need to start either watching a trailer or reading a summary, because (laughs) I was just kind of, you know... Enjoying the ride of the movie, (laughs) and then all of a sudden, a girl was puking up maggots and shitting herself on a bus. And I was like, whoa, this is not what I expected. Netflix basically ruins a whole bunch if you just let the trailer play before you hit play on the movie. (laughs) Uh, Okay, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I share an account on Netflix with my family. There's five of us. Netflix allows you four accounts. Guess who doesn't have an account? <laughs> That's right. Me. So The one who's using it probably the most. The most. That's a lie. My mom watches a That's lot fair. of movies. <laughs> but no, I... We should have uh, her on one day. And she's probably seen everything that we've already... Like, we haven't seen, so... But yeah, uh, hey, there it is, the transition. But yeah, so... <laughs> Uh, what do you think of per- the perfection, Scott? I enjoyed the first half, I think. I'm still... 
processing the second half. And I think that's a luxury of watching a movie every day is at some point, it's just like, I'm not even going to waste my energy trying to figure out what I thought about it. But uh, I think it fits and it it kicks off the week with an unintentional theme uh, to quite a few of these movies this week uh, of moral ambiguity. And it's an interesting story. So Charlotte is a a once-was star cellist, and she leaves this school to watch after her mother, who got sick. And the movie kicks off when her mother passes away, and she contacts her old school, ends up in, were they Shanghai or something, I think? But she ends up there and meets her old teacher and a pupil that kind of took her place when she left, uh, Elizabeth or Lizzie. And so the story starts where she kind of hits it off with Lizzie and they, they kind of form fall in a, love. Yeah, they form a, at least a, what seems like a romantic interest in each other mm-hmm. and end up going on a trip. Lizzie took a week off or something to go on this trip and invites Charlotte to go with her. And so it seems like everything's great and fine and dandy, but they show on the side that there's this disease going around. I think they've mentioned Ebola yeah. or something. And so you're led to believe that Lizzie is getting sick through mm-hmm. this trip. So she starts vomiting bugs, and she's seeing bugs crawling around in her skin. And so Charlotte seems like she's helping the whole time. Then all of a sudden, Lizzie scratches her arm open, bugs leave her arm, and Charlotte pulls out a, a like a cleaver, like a, a butcher butcher's shot. knife, yeah, and, uh, and says, you know what you have to do, and then Lizzie chops her arm off. Uh, yeah, that's... That's act one, I guess you could say. <laughs> yeah, they do have kind of acts in this that they mention. You're pretty clear cut. Yeah. Uh, but immediately after that point, we kind of get this rewind effect where for those of you kids who haven't seen a VHS before. It goes like this. <laughs> it goes like this. And uh, <laughs> it brings us back to an earlier point in the film where we just kind of see that Charlotte was actually kind of manipulating uh, Lizzie this entire time. And I think we have a kind of a differing of opinions on this because I feel like I would like things to maybe flesh itself out a little bit more before we do this reveal as opposed to immediately afterwards just to like let the audience know like they can piece things together in their own mind. But I know you were kind of having a differing take at least in regards to this film specifically. Yeah, so I liked the first time they did the rewind. This movie does it twice. And... You know that sentence that, uh, I forget if it's just one, but there's like a sentence that they always show that if you change the place of the punctuation, it completely changes the context. Yeah, I kind of know sentence. what you're talking about. They talk about like English classes and stuff. Yeah. I feel like that kind of did this with this first part of the movie. Is it went back and it it showed the same scenes almost, but from a, from a slightly different perspective for mm-hmm. you to see what's going on. Even though, yes, you already, I mean, most people would have figured out what's going on by now or at least have an idea and it didn't need to spell it out for you but I didn't find that it was annoyingly spelling it out for me yeah I mean I guess when I look at it you know I just again I wish some maybe they jumped forward like six months in time we see some of the other events play out and then like I guess that changes the concept of the movie if it's more of like a detective type thing of going back and figuring out what happened versus just visually seeing it because we want to carry the story on I don't know but I think what's interesting is like it, it does tie right into that point of moral ambiguity that you were speaking of because you find out that there were 
alternative motives for everything that was driven. Like even oh, yeah. at the end of like, or when she, uh, Charlotte's, conv- you know, confessing to Lizzie, like this was the only way I could break you out. This was the only way I could get you out of the academy and this cult mentality that you've kind of brought upon yourself. There was always an, you know, a point for everything or every action in the film. So I guess, again, just to keep the the plot moving forward and, you know, keep your audience engaged. It, it was it was decent. I, I mean, I liked the movie. I, I, I thought it was a really good start, uh, especially for a Monday movie. And this might be terms that we start to use kind of moving Monday, forward. Monday movie. Yeah, a Monday movie versus a Sunday movie. Like, there's, it's, there's a different <laughs> dynamic with these movies. And obviously, like, we're choosing movies at random at this point. And there's not really any rhyme or reason. Like, we sit at the beginning of the week and we're just like, oh, that looks interesting. Throw yeah, it on the not, list. We're not trying to to pick certain movies on certain days or anything. It's just how the schedule falls. Yes. But they, we do, I think maybe subconsciously, we do rearrange things to an extent. Yeah, because you know I mean? Monday, we definitely want to start off our week with something good, something that's going to get us invested. And it's weird because this is one long process, but we're still breaking up, breaking everything up in our minds. That helps the chunk. Because, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, if we try to think of all of these movies together, like 21 movies, there's no way we're discussing it. So we have to pretty much disregard all of the previous seven movies that we watched so that we can focus on a seven new movies. And it's... It's challenging. As it's, we it's said really at the hard. end of last week, I think we tried to recap something or call back to week one, and we already were like, "What did we uh, watch?" What, I remember what we watched in the first week. I think that just kind of shows you the realm of where our headspace is right now. Oh yeah, yeah, and I think it's not just completely forgetting the movies. I think sometimes it's it's hard to differentiate certain things in all these movies that uh, maybe things happened in another movie that are similar. I mean, when we're watching this many movies, we've kind of talked about this outside of the podcast, that we're noticing similarities, a lot of similarities with... Across the movie. ...message or, you know, something something key in the movies. There is a, a trend of things that we're noticing, and it's because we tend to, or at least we had discussed, it's potentially because we're watching a lot of more modern... Movies. Movies, just because that's what, you know, is, is quick. You quick jump on Netflix or Hulu or, or HBO Max or whatever, and most of what you're going to see is newer stuff. Maybe we should get Paramount because I hear Paramount has a lot of old shit. <laughs> so. Yeah, within the last five years, uh, we're yeah. just kind of, and that's kind of what we're subject to watching just because of what the platform decides to put out, you know? And I wonder how much of that affects our memory of some of these movies, the, the deeper we get into this, this year, you know, all the, there are so many strong similarities that, like, I don't know if I'm talking about this movie or that movie, you know, at what point do <laughs> we get to recording and we start talking about one thing and then one of us is like, that was, that was from a different movie, man. Like, what but, are you doing? I, but, you know, when we used to watch movies before this podcast, like, we would watch something and we might talk on that one movie over the course of a few days, right? Three, yeah, four days. True. We have a lot of time to process. And and we could come back to it and think about it because that's the only movie. Like People aren't watching yeah, and ideas, People you know? aren't watching a movie a day. They are watching maybe a movie once a week. And they might have TV shows or they're doing stuff with their family. Like, you know, there, this is a lot of investment of yeah, time. Yeah, interesting with TV shows too is you get 
pieces of a bigger story instead of a movie where you theoretically get the whole story. So it's like we're dealing with entire separate stories every day, but people who even just binge TV shows in mm-hmm. a week or something, it's like it's all one universe. You know, they're they're building on that. They're not just completely going in a different direction. And I think that's what makes it hard for us, though, is that we don't get those days to really sit with a movie anymore. Because <laughs> yeah. by the time that we would want to maybe start analyzing it a little bit further or more in depth, we're already watching a new movie or we're watching our second movie. Or for in some cases, we are starting the same movie for three days in a row because it's so terribly bad. Which seamlessly leads into our Tuesday movie. <laughs> Spectral. <laughs> so we did not watch this movie together, but after talking with Scott, we both watched this movie over the span of three days because it was that hard <laughs> to actually get through it. It's only three weeks in and we already... <laughs> we started we already it on took Tuesday. took too long to watch a movie, but we did. We still committed and got it done. <laughs> oh, God. But yeah, let's talk about Spectral real quick. Uh, Spectral is civil unrest in the European country of Moldova has U.S. forces engaging the insurgents. However, there is a new threat who has decided both are their enemy. This new threat resides in an alternative spectrum that makes them invisible to the naked eye and instant death to anyone confronting them. Locals believe they are spirits of war, but others believe they are superior arms technology fabricated by the Moldova government. And that seems like it's kind of an interesting movie but it wasn't like it seems like they have a lot of things that they could take this story in and do with but oh god and i, I mean i'm just one person's opinion but i thought this movie was make absolutely awful <laughs> <laughs> make that too it's frustrating that it wasn't it's not like it's the worst movie i've ever seen no it wasn't the swing of things or the resort. I mean, we have a list of movies that are just really bad. Uh, I just figured the swing of things from last week, but but uh, I mean, the CGI mm-hmm. is, I think, for both of us, a big point of this movie, and we have positives and negatives to discuss on that. But I think we both agree that this movie had pretty solid CGI. Yeah, that was I just the one standout for this film that I kind of thought back on and was like, you know what, like. They did very well with their visual and special effects, but they didn't. They didn't add anything to the movie. Well, yeah, I mean, I, so I think this is going to be a larger topic to discuss, and it'll probably come back quite a bit in the next year. But um, I think an interesting conversation we should have is the the idea of. Uh, I think there are quite a few movies out there, in my opinion, that try to too heavily rely on their cinematics Mm -hmm. to save what would be potentially a poor script or a poor story in general. I don't even know if that's the thought process, though. I I think they're just pushing out films with the mentality that, like, I don't even think they realize they have a bad script. Well, to me, if you have the budget for something, Mm -hmm. right, I got to think of, from the mindset of, I, I believe this was a Netflix original. So from the mindset of someone like a, a company like Netflix, who yeah. does just want to push stuff out, and and the as we saw with the what was that Bright, that movie with Will Smith and the like Goblin dude or whatever. I never saw it. You know what I'm talking about? Will Smith and the a Goblin couple dude. years ago, I believe Netflix put out a movie called Bright. I'm pretty sure. Okay, and it sparked this whole conversation of. Netflix doesn't need their movies to be good 
because they're not relying on box office take and no. you know what I mean? It's they just need people to watch it, right? So there's this idea that they will kind of produce anything if they think it will draw anyone to watch it, but it doesn't matter. If, I mean, they don't care as long as you start the movie and watch any amount of it. Yeah, you've they're solid. for a month exactly. Netflix. So I feel like for the draw, and, and from what I remember, I think this was an issue with Bright as well, is they had enough money behind it to make it look good. It looked okay, yep. right? Same thing with Spectral. It looks fine, but there's no... There's not a whole lot of story there. It's not very... Okay, so I watched quite a bit of videos on YouTube just about special effects and special effects artists. And what I would say is if you ever see like bad visual effects or special effects in a movie, it's not because the people who are doing them are bad at their jobs. It typically means that the studio ran out of money sure. for them to budget out what exactly they needed to do because... Time is money and people who are spending hours and hours on these visual effects, right? So, I mean, just kind of bringing that into your point, I guess if you have this budget and your focus is to make sure that you have the best visual effects, maybe you aren't necessarily relying on the script. Like, you're just going to take whatever, and that's fine. I mean, as long as you have something where you think, oh, our, look at our storyboard. It looks great. Mm -hmm. Like, this is going to look cool, and we have the money and the the infrastructure or whatever, the team behind it that can do a decent job and make it look good. So who really gives a shit because we don't care if they're going to watch or, and I don't even know that, I wonder your opinion on how, what you thought about the people who made this movie because later we're going to get into a movie that you, I know you feel has absolutely no heart behind it, I, I believe. Yeah. And so in, in the reverse, I wonder, because there is some interesting science behind this, and I wonder if someone who had this story or this idea wanted to do something with it, and they just, I don't know. Because it's a pretty cool idea, right? I mean, they talk about this Bose-Einstein condensate thing, which is a material that these things are made of, which is made from freezing low-density gases to a near-absolute zero. So when you touch the gas, you inst you know you instantly die. Nothing can withstand that cold. I mean, okay, let's look at this story, though. So essentially, like you have this armed forces unit who they wear these goggles or glasses that allow you to see different wavelengths of... Spectral anomalies. Yes, yeah. essentially. And... All of their men kind of keep instantly dying and there's no explanation as to what it is. So they bring in the scientists behind the goggles to essentially send them out on a mission to gather more Verify information and yeah. be like, what is this? Is this? they think it's cloaking technology. Yes. Or at least the CIA does. So they're just trying to figure everything out. And again, as I said at the beginning of this, I thought like if you look at the summary or the plot summary of this film or even some of the stuff that we've even mentioned in the film – there was enough to spark an interest to want to watch it. There was, there was potential for this film. And obviously it fell short in the writing. It fell short in... And I, I'm not even saying the acting was bad. The acting no, was good. No, the good. acting was fine. Was, and they had a, they had a pretty solid cast. cast yeah. And it's not like any of those were issues. It was just the pacing of the film and the fact that there was absolutely no character development or just any need to even want to 
care for anybody in this film. And every line of dialogue was used to give you context as to what was happening. Like they forced information down your throat. And the same thing with like the kids that they find in that complex that they run into, Mm -hmm. right? Those kids are only there to give context. They're exposition dumps. Seriously, like they are the (laughs) smartest people in the room at the time and they are only in the scene to essentially explain what is happening. Mm-hmm. because they had no other way to creatively show or do something to be like, this is the Bose-Einstein condensate. They are simply there to be like, oh yeah, my dad worked on it, and this is what it is, and this is where you're yeah, going to find... They basically give them all the answers. Yeah, this is where you're going to find the lab that they worked <laughs> on, and oh yeah, here's every single thing, every piece of information that you need to know. And then like five minutes later, after introducing these two characters who... Typically, they're, they're kids, right? You should feel bad for them. They're defenseless. They're all alone. You have no sympathy for them. And then one of them dies. And as much as I would like want to feel bad, I was just like, oh, I mean, I just met him two minutes ago. His sister cries for like 30 seconds. And then she's like it's all fine. smiling yeah. and happy for the rest of the film, not even like not even regarding that her brother had passed away, her father had passed away. Like she's all alone now. Like she has nobody, but everything's fine just because they needed those two characters to drive a point forward. Yeah. I don't know. I got vibes of, you know, did we talk about the Tomorrow War? You have not mentioned the Tomorrow War. So have you seen that? Uh, With Chris Pratt? Yeah. On Amazon Prime. Yes. Yes. That... Movie and this movie to me felt similar. And I don't know how you felt about that movie. And we won't talk a whole lot about that movie because we didn't watch that movie. And that's not the I point. think the point you're trying to drive at is there was over the top CGI, like a high professional that's what it was, level right? of CGI. It was so soulless and, and it was just look, it's pretty and there's a bunch of shit on screen going on, but also the story's crap and. There's no comedy, even though at least the Tomorrow War had a, a comedic, you know, a comedic, comedic character, yeah. comedy relief character. Um, and this movie didn't at all. I don't think there was no. Was no. there anyone that did uh, anyone even crack a smile in this movie besides the little girl after her brother died? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a bad thing to say. <laughs> um, well, I think what you bring up an interesting point, talking about how there's really no comedic relief in this film. And now that I'm actually thinking about it, typically comedic relief is to help alleviate some of the stress or suspense of a movie. Tension in the, yeah. There's tension built up. However, in this movie, I never felt myself stressed out, feeling like there was any sense of worry. Because even though people were dying instantaneously, nobody reacted to it at all. There's no heart emotion or anything to like make you feel like, okay, like... This is pretty serious. And like that's where the comedic relief would come in is to help kind of like bring that tension down. But like there was never any moment in the film where I was like, oh my God. What's going to happen? Yeah. I think that's why I'm sure that plays into why it took us both so long to finish it is because you really just aren't interested in what happens. Yes. Nothing in the movie makes you like, how are they going to solve this problem? Because they even even that they kind of reveal early on and then there's no hope and then the children show up and basically solve the problem. Well, you mentioned, right, there's this problem that needs to be solved and this is going to be my last little tidbit on this. But the problem gets solved 
because they unplugged the computer. They unplugged the cords. <laughs> like they're like, oh, here's the power to their 3D printer. Let's just rip the cords out and we're good. Big old cords too. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's the movie. That end was weird too, right? Where they <laughs> they un- he unplugs the cord and then they all just freeze. But like they're all floating around and floating at people, and you know it's supposed yeah they go to be, through walls, but they get blocked the, off by helicopter blades. You know, like the <laughs> like wind blow back from the helicopter yeah, keeps Which, them at bay. And <laughs> now knowing that Bose Einstein condensate is uh, is technically like properties of a gas being super frozen to like ultra low temperatures, it makes sense. I guess. I don't know the science. I'm not a. I'm not a fucking. You know. I'm not a geologist. I, <laughs> Scientist Scott. <laughs> I'm not a librarian. I don't know these things. But <laughs> no, I'm. I'm not a physicist or a chemist or. A, Scott's not anything. I'm, I'm okay. Nothing. I'm. I'm. I'm just. Scott is just in Scott. I don't know the the exact science behind it, but I guess I could believe that if it's some kind of gas and there are properties that maybe you know air resistance could slow them down potentially, but solid matter doesn't. I don't know. It doesn't make sense when I say it, but maybe you know. I don't want to be somebody fact check that for us and get back to us, okay? <laughs> or don't. I don't really care if I never hear about this movie again. But what really sums up this movie is kind of how we started it and it took us three days to watch it. And I yeah. think that's really all you need to know is that it was it was bad. But we had a good bounce back moving into Wednesday's movie. Yes, Wednesday. Wow. Thank God. Yeah, we uh, watched Censor on Wednesday. Yeah, so Censor... After viewing a strangely familiar video, Nasty, Enid, a film censor, sets out to solve the past mystery of her sister's disappearance, embarking on a quest that dissolves the line between fiction and reality. So this was a psychological thriller, and one of the few, I would say, that we actually watched this week. Uh, Again, just picking stuff at random. Yeah, we're at it, random. (laughs) They were added randomly, but they, they had similar ties, as we have already mentioned. But this was a psychological thriller that we watched, and I think this was the best psychological thriller movie that we had watched this week, at least in terms of what we saw, how it was played out. Just everything about this movie was really well done. I would agree, and I think we have, I think both of us have an interest typically in this style of movie, this type of movie, this type of story. So maybe it shouldn't come as a surprise that we are picking a bunch of them. And I think another thing we may talk about at some point today is how we feel like maybe we're front-loading this year. (laughs) And at some point, we're going to run out of a handful of things we're actually interested in watching. Okay, but that's fine because we've noticed that our choices in picks have not always been that great. That's true. Spectral is exhibit A of that. But at what point do we have to start watching movies that... We're like, I don't know. We just need a fucking movie tonight. Like, pick something. Sure, if you let's didn't watch know, the swing of things. There's only 368 <laughs> movies in existence, and we have to pick 365 <laughs> of those to watch. So well, of our movie there's list no is, end to movies. Yeah, we are very limited as to what we can watch. <laughs> I'm just saying the with point how we've been doing it is we haven't put a whole lot of effort into deep diving to find movies we're interested in. We just find movies we're interested in. And I, I, I definitely see by doing that, and again, that's something we've talked about before too with the algorithms and what's being pushed to us. 
I know how the past few years of me watching mm-hmm. Netflix or Hulu or whatever affects what they show me and how little they show me. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's going to become difficult to find stuff as they tailor to us. I mean, that's something we'll talk about in the future because maybe we just keep creating new profiles so they don't have any. They have no idea who we are. We just keep getting random stuff. Where but. we live. <laughs> But they will find us. But I do think that's interesting. That they will kill us. With our interest. <laughs> we need to watch a Liam Neeson movie here. Oh, we do. <laughs> they, have a, <laughs> they have a special set of skills. <laughs> but anyway, Sensor was great. Yeah, Sensor was really good. Um, I think both of us kind of wanted to watch this movie for a while now. Yeah, we've had it on our list. Uh, and I'm really glad that we did. Uh, this was a really good kind of depiction. Someone kind of unravels and their reality breaks. This is a documentary of our year of watching movies to come. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) By the end of it, we'll end up killing people and eating their face or something. Oh, God. (laughs) I mean, yeah, so it follows a censor in the 1980s, right? And her position is to essentially watch or censor movies that are coming in and she either green lights or red lights these movies based on the context of the films if they're too gory if they're too violent for tv essentially and a movie kind of sparks old memories of her some trauma that she has dealt with where she lost her sister back in the woods uh, when she was young and they never found her again but she's always spent her life looking for her and this trauma re kind of appears in her life she accidentally greenlit some movie that probably shouldn't have been greenlit because a man replicates the murders, as Scott had mentioned out. A guy <laughs> killed his wife, ate her face, and then stabbed two children uh, in real life. So now they're coming after her at her job. So the stress of her life, uh, plus this movie that sparked some old trauma, she's dealing with a lot of things. And this kind of just focuses on those, I would say, those few weeks of her just like really unraveling. But I think this movie did something that a lot of movies don't do anymore. And it kind of allows you to interpret the film how you want. Because this movie ended to where you don't really know what happened to her or to her sister in the past. Like, nothing's really spelled out for you. Everything's left for you to interpret it your own way. And I really appreciate that the film did that. This was huge contrast to Spectral. This movie didn't spell anything out. No. This was definitely, I may have mentioned before, what I would consider an experience movie, where its purpose is to provoke a mirroring response to the main character kind of thing, mm-hmm. right? You're, you're kind of supposed to feel this descent and it does that very well oh, with a, a number of different tools. But visually, I think the the contrast from the mundane conservative side of, of censorship versus, you know, when she gets out of the when she starts being triggered by the actual movies and even just visually things change, right? Her perspective changes and she starts seeing things and and so you don't even know what is real and what's not and Cinematographically, <laughs> the cinematography <laughs> of the film. Yeah. You wanna... <laughs> <laughs> the cinematography in this was unbelievable. Yeah, the lighting, the I loved it. some of the settings in this film were very dark, which is obviously very difficult to do. But I think they they did a very good job 
showcasing everything exactly as they wanted it to be seen to you. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I think gets lost sometimes is there's not purpose behind some of the shots or some of the scenes in the film. And it almost seemed like everything had a purpose. Everything was placed exactly where it needed to be. Mm -hmm. And uh, this was actually, I think, the director's first like major film. Really? Uh, so the director of this film, her name is Prano Bailey Bond. And I was doing some research as to maybe other films that she's done in the past because I just, I really enjoyed this film. But she did a short film called Nasty, actually. Okay. So kind of probably a related. Yeah, I read up on the plot of it. It seems very kind of, I don't know if it influenced Censor at all, but it, it had the same themes. And if you watch the trailer of the film, a lot of the same kind of settings and environments seem to Did play. Did it come out before came Censor? Out, it came yeah. out before, uh, I think about four years before. Okay. And I tried to watch it, and I couldn't find anywhere where I could watch it. It's only a 15-minute huh. film. So I was like, oh, okay. oh I have time yeah, for that because it's a short, right? Uh and I just wanted to kind of compare that film to this just to see the sure. similarities. But either way, I, I, I'm super excited to kind of see the work that she continues to put out. So did she Did she write this also? Uh, Have a hand in writing? Let me pull if it If it's up. similar to uh, her short. Because I kind of like this whole, the vibe of... Uh, so she did write this, but she was also with one other person, Anthony Fletcher. So they co-wrote okay. it together. But she was one of the writers on this and then... Okay the director of the film. Okay. I tend to like when a director was also a writer. Yeah, they have the vision, vision of... And, and I, it's not necessary because obviously we have like Dune last week. You don't need to have written it, but for smaller directors, I think, and smaller movies like this, you, you can tell, right? You can kind of feel that. But I, I do like this whole setting and the... I didn't know a whole lot about the boom of these video nasties was a real thing in the UK in the 80s. There was some censorship loophole. So there was a slew of uh, like low budget, ultra violent horror films coming out and they were banned. I think there's 80 something movies, I think. And if the film had any accuracies of the actual 80s, like nasty film boom, things like that, right? Then there was a scene in the film where Enid goes to a video store trying to track down a video mm -hmm. uh, from a kind of this director who's known for these more violent films. The movie films. that triggered her. Yes. But they have like this back alley videotape market of like, <laughs> yeah. what, are you, the, what are you looking for? Video store. Yeah. But yeah, then you go in and you, you're like, what you got under the counter? What do you, you know? Yeah, you know, so there's definitely some shady stuff going on. So I wonder like the accuracies in real life in the UK. If, I'm like, sure that's... If you went in looking went, to the yeah. right place, you could find all of these videos and, you know. I mean, even today there's there's debate right i mean i know quentin tarantino yes there's that super famous interview clip of him and whatever guy talking about you know if he thought the violence in his movies inspired true violence and whatever and you know there's there's still debate today about that and violent video games and even violent books and, right there's sure. banned books oh and, yeah uh you know what is it uh when everybody reads in catcher in the rye catcher in the yeah. rye inspired yeah 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 so, I mean, it's not a, you know, that idea isn't contained to this era, but I don't know. It's just a, a, that time kind of fascinates me. I'd, I'd be interested to find more movies yeah. on that. Mm -hmm. But I don't think I have a whole lot more to say about the story. I, I liked it. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot to unravel, but I think the, again, the part that I really just enjoyed about this movie was 
everybody can kind of go in and interpret it any which way that they want. And the reason I feel like we're kind of avoiding talking about that is if you do end up seeing it, right, we don't want to necessarily sway you as you might have a complete different interpretation from us. And I think that's what makes this movie so excellent. Mm -hmm. I think you should watch it with some friends or some family and have your own discussions around it. It's a good one to talk about. Because there's a lot to unravel there. I think so. And the again, the experience. I definitely think the main driver of this movie is the the feeling it invokes in mm-hmm. you when you watch it and all again the visuals there's a tv transition that just blew my mind it probably wasn't even that impressive it's just in the context of the movie and i think there's a scene where scott's talking about where essentially the the image quality goes from a 16 by 9 no i mean a transition where it, oh, the through the tv through That's the what tv you're about. Yeah. Of the, the world of there's just so much parallel in this movie between reality and her reality lunacy almost right yeah. of her when she, especially when it starts to snowball toward the end but what you're talking about too is the screen changes formats ever so slowly aspect ratio the real slow transition of yeah. the 16 by 9 aspect ratio to a 4 by 3 which is a traditional like older style 80s 90s yeah. model tv and when she's going in and out of of being in in the the movie world that's kind of her her crack into being crazy is feeling like she's a part of one of these movies that she finds herself in kind of thing. But I don't know. It was, I loved it. Yeah, it was a great, great movie. And I, I'm glad we finally watched it after seeing it for a few months. But speaking of movies that we've wanted to watch for a while, which I'm surprised we never have. (laughs) Thursday was a disaster artist, which for any of you who haven't heard of that movie, it follows essentially the making of the room. Uh, And the room is accredited as it's the world's best worst movie. It is so bad, but people (laughs) love it. And I feel like this discussion might become more about the room than the disaster artist, just because they're kind of one in the same, right? It's hard not to talk about the room in a certain amount of depth to be able to understand the disaster artist. Yes. But essentially aspiring actor, Drake Sestero befriends the eccentric Tommy Wiseau. The two travel to L.A., and when Hollywood rejects them, Tommy decides to write, direct, produce, and star in their own movie. That movie is The Room, which has attained cult status as the Citizen Kane of bad movies. (laughs) So these are real people. They were depicted by the Franco brothers in this film, and essentially the movie is based off of Greg Sestero's book, The Disaster Artist, My Life Inside the Room, The Greatest Bad Movie Ever Made. That's the title. (laughs) Um, so he was an actor on this film, and this is kind of following his point of view as to the making of this just ridiculous movie, which at first became a flop, and then years later gained this oh, cult status yeah. of just people need to see it. And for someone like both Scott and I who have seen this movie, I'm speaking for both of us here by saying, like, if you ever get an opportunity to see The Room in a theater, you just need to go see it. Because, again, talking about experience, right? Buy a big box of plastic spoons. Yes. Go see the room at a theater. And just have fun. You don't even need to know. We won't even explain. Just go. You'll know. And all of the gripes we talked about with theater (laughs) etiquette at the beginning, throw those out the window. Because this is an experience that you're going to enjoy with a group of people you've never met before, but you're going to have the time of your life. It's like Rocky Horror Picture Show. Again, no tomatoes. (laughs) You have spoons. Yes. Spoons. Spoons. (laughs) So there's just a lot of, I mean, the room itself is just every single thing about it is absolutely ridiculous. 
at first, a lot of people thought they were making this really high-budget film and people were going to love it. Well, it was high-budget. Well, it was high-budget. It's like <laughs> Tommy, he's a mysterious guy and they kind of talk about it in this movie, but if you ever try to look up anything about this man, there is no information. And the, the fact that like Google knows so much about people, but you can't find anything about him just speaks testament to like what a mystery he is. Because you don't know his age, you don't know where he's from, you don't know how he got all this money. It's just, it's kind of fun. But I think we were both kind of reading up a lot of things. And take this with a grain of salt, because these were things we found off the internet, but because we found it there, right? Oh, the internet. It must be true. Must be true. Yeah, it's definitely <laughs> true. But so what were some of the things that you, you, you were finding about this? Well, so I thought this was pretty funny. Because I went into this thinking, and I will just say I I really enjoyed this movie. Um, I think this might have been my favorite movie of, of the week. Just it's just I needed something lighthearted, I guess. Yes, and, this uh, was definitely <laughs> up the comedic level it was, from our psychological thrillers of the it week. It was you know it was a drama too, but it, it was one of those kind of it's kind of a feel good. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> but I I approached this movie or went into this movie thinking that James Franco had a special place in his heart for the room, and that's why he wanted to do this. That's why he wanted to play Tommy, and that's why he wanted to direct this. And I read that he hadn't even seen the room until after he signed on to direct this movie. Wow. <laughs> I mean, he has such a Which big investment crazy. in the film. You think, like, I know, like you said, and, he and would so have he, had... Exactly. I would have thought it would have been kind of a you know a passion, passion project. project. Yeah. yeah. And, and nope, he, he he had heard plenty about it. I think I saw a quote of him in an interview saying he heard plenty about it. He had friends that went saw it, and he remembers seeing the billboard that Tommy puts up a billboard of the premiere of the room in L.A. and uh, and James Franco said that he remembers seeing the billboard, but he just never it never interested him enough to go see it, even with all the friends telling him about it. And he just heard enough, I guess. Well, that's interesting. And this whole thing happened. <laughs> so it was like this recent then, or like back when the room actually like back released? Actually released. Back when it actually released. Yeah. So that's kind of crazy because like it only released in one theater. It aired for two weeks just so that Tommy could qualify for an Academy Award. Right? <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> and so, so great. I, I mean... So the movie depicts them rolling up to the premiere of the movie, Tommy and Greg, and the entire limousine is filled with like merchandise and advertisements, and like they barely have enough room to sit because he went so gun ho on like making sure like everybody knew about the room. So, but it was funny because it only played in one theater, <laughs> but maybe that's the only theater that would approve to play it. That was great. I mean, that I think that scene sums up a lot of a lot of. Tommy's ideology or whatever when they roll up to the premiere and they drive by and he he waves the driver he's like keep going keep going and they pass through and everybody standing out front knows that it was him but he's like oh there's not enough people there yet we'll swing back by later <laughs> so they come back around later there's more people he's like okay you could stop we'll get out and they get out and he, the first thing he says when he gets out the car is he's like hi everybody sorry traffic was terrible sorry I'm late you know <laughs> But everybody just, saw him like hanging out of the win window got, of the limo as he drove by. He just got such a such a mind for the the dramatic and you know extravagant entrance and. But yeah, because Tommy wanted to be this great kind of big American 
you know, director and cinematographer star, yeah. and he star. Just wanted to be a star. Big American star on Hollywood. He wanted his place. But everything he did was inspired by what he thought was great. And that's something that I think just kind of shows to the character of who Tommy was was he really just was a likable guy. He, he was he was a very genuine guy. Yes. Yeah, and it's hard not to watching this movie and knowing the story. And I mean, even outside of this movie, knowing how he has dealt with the popularity of the room now, mm-hmm. with its you know cult status, he goes to showings of it. Yeah, like places he travels and, and goes to art house theaters. Yeah, and, and what do you call it? Like panels after He'll, he does a Q and A, and yeah. he loves talking about it, and he loves He's like happy to have amassed the you know the fan base that he has exactly. And it's just crazy to think someone put such genuine effort into making what they thought was going to be great and everyone having the opposite reaction of it. Exactly. And that that that's an end scene at the premiere too that I, I enjoyed knowing that Greg and him are still friends and they still you said I think you looked up they made they've even made other movies. They've actually had two movies come out in the last five years. Okay, yeah. Uh so in the last five years this is actually Greg who produced and directed and wrote a script. It's called Best Friends, okay. Volume 1 and Volume 2. And essentially, it explores a strange relationship between a mortician and a drifter, each played by Greg and Tommy. Interesting. And I would love to see these movies because I'm sure they are right up the alley of the room and just things that you want to love about these. Like you, you go in with the perception that like, you know what you're getting, especially if you've seen The Room, The Disaster mm-hmm. Artist. And I hope it just like, it gives you all of those feelings again of just bad script what writing. What is going on? <laughs> this is crazy and a mess and I love it. Yeah, I did not hit her. I did not. I did not hit her. It's not true. Oh, it's bullshit. I did not hit her. I did not. Oh, hi, Mark. Oh, hi, Mark. Uh, did you know they did 15 minutes of like the entire room, they remade 15 whole minutes of the room for this movie. I mean, I remember seeing some of the scenes at, after the credits of the... Yeah, the credits have the side-by-sides. Yeah, of yeah. like their version versus the actual version. I had no idea it was 15 minutes. Though. Yeah, 15 whole minutes of the movie they, they remade. Um. Thanks a lot. Bye. <laughs> Uh, Triple X on Friday, Return of Xander Cage. Just jumping into it, all right. I want to jump in so I can jump out. Fair enough. Um, And I think we'll have a small discussion as to some of the things that we need to, and then we can just get past it. But yeah, Triple X, Return of Xander Cage. An extreme athlete turned government operative Xander Cage, played by Vin Diesel, comes out of self-imposed exile, thought to be long dead, and is set on a collision course with deadly alpha warrior Zhang and his team in a race to recover a sinister and seemingly unstoppable weapon known as Pandora's Box. Recruiting an all-new group of thrill-seeking cohorts, Xander finds himself enmeshed in a deadly conspiracy that points to collusion at the highest levels of the world's governments. That's not the synopsis I have. Oh, what's the synopsis you have? Everybody wants to fuck Xander Cage. (laughs) (laughs) Where did you get your synopsis? Oh, mine... I'm pretty sure mine was from IMDb. Oh, I think I might have read mine on Reddit then. (laughs) All right, before we talk too much trash on this movie, because I know we both disliked it, something interesting to me is 
so many people love this movie. There's a lot of reviews I read about this, and people were like, oh my gosh, this is exactly what I wanted. It's such a good follow-up to the 2002 or 2004 Triple X, which we both enjoyed that movie. Yeah. And they're like, it was a dumb action flick. I knew exactly what I was getting. It was it, so much fun. It definitely was that. Sure. Ah, just... Or, I'm sorry, dumb, fun action movie. <laughs> I, I, I left out fun. <laughs> but did you have fun? No. I think that's the difference. That I don't know. There's something, there's some gene that we have that prevents us from having fun when watching Triple X Return of Xander Cage that apparently a lot of other people don't have. So, what's interesting <laughs> to me is like a lot of the reviews I read were from 2017. So, I wonder if there's been some shift in things in those last four years of people's ideas as to what movies are and how they were perceived. Obviously, because in our recent episode, we talked about people absolutely hating movies. Yeah, these last, last week few years. We, we were like, man, everybody's shitting on everything on IMDb. But people loved this movie? Yes. I mean, I don't know. I, I believe it because uh, I watched this with my fiance's family. Mm -hmm. And they all had, I mean, even throughout the movie, they were cracking jokes about, you know, how everybody else is running around doing stuff and Vin Diesel's just standing there the entire movie. And he doesn't actually do a whole lot of any action other than when he's harnessed up and told to make it look like he's running out of a falling plane or whatever. <laughs> whatever that scene was. But they said that they enjoyed it. Okay. And it's, it's very similar to what you just said of what did you expect? It's a, Vin it's a dumb action movie. It was enjoyable because you just shut your brain off and, you know, whatever. And I think to us... We are not against turning our brains off to enjoy a movie, but I think we have a we have an interesting relationship with Vin Diesel movies. So a point that I thought of is I asked I asked all of them, when's the last time you saw a Vin Diesel movie? How many Vin Diesel movies have you seen in the last year? In the last two years, mm -hmm. three years. And so when we watched F9, we watched F8 right before it. Fate of the Furious. I've seen Bloodsport earlier this year, Bloodshot. Bloodshot? Blood whatever the hero one is. I don't even remember it that much, but I watched that one. Yeah. I Okay, so I love the Fast and Furious movies. And that's something interesting is that <laughs> they said they don't watch the Fast and Furious movies. It's too much for them. They can't deal with it. But they liked this. Hmm. And that's, so it's, it's an interesting perspective because I feel like maybe it's just a different feel of Vin Diesel, a different vibe, you know? We get Well, yeah, talk about your vibe of Vin Diesel in this movie. He is oh, he's creepy. he's creepy. It, well, and the script doesn't help that because like I said in my synopsis, that's basically the script of the movie is everybody wants to fuck him, right? Everybody just wants to sleep with him and he's the the coolest shit he's since the sliced bees bread. Knees, yeah. And, you know, and he he skis snow skis down a dry dirt mountain and, and does a triple backflip corkscrew axle <laughs> but none of the army guys have done it ever and i mean i know that that's the triple x thing is he's a daredevil and he yeah but oh my god but the, so i don't know if anybody has seen or if you have seen the interview but, of him with this particular i believe she's brazilian uh interviewer i've seen i know what you're referring to 
But I have this queued up for us. God, you're so beautiful. God, she's so beautiful, man. <laughs> am I right or wrong? Look at her. How am I supposed to do this interview? Look at yeah. this woman. Tell me your story. She's so beautiful. <laughs> Are you sure this wasn't in the movie? <laughs> exactly, right? What's your story? It just goes on from there. Oh, it's like a three-minute interview. It's so uncomfortable. And it felt like it felt like this movie was a bit of that, but that the actors that had to deal with that were being paid well enough to you know, put and on we, the character yeah, and, and act and we versus talked about, this poor interviewer. <laughs> we talked about that in F9 of like, what is your self-respect worth, right? Like how much <laughs> money does it take to just like do that movie? Yeah. And this takes it all to how a whole- How much money new, makes you not give a fuck Yeah, anymore. this takes it to a whole nother level, care. right? And it's not like the cast was bad. They had no. big names in it, but the script was just god-awful. The, Which I guess that's what everybody liked about it. I, I don't, don't know. know. I don't. I don't get it. I would have to revisit the Triple X from two thousand and two or four. Whenever, well, it came and out. I'm not saying that that I know that wasn't good. I know that was over the top. I know, I know but the script sucked. I know that the story was goofy. But it had to be better than this, I don't know, man. I, but Scott watched this movie with a group of people, and it kind of got me thinking about like, is our interpretation of films different based on the environment that we watch a film? Oh, absolutely. Because like if me and Scott watch a film together, I think there's going to be maybe we we judge the film too negatively when we're together well, versus we're, separate versus with a, a group of people. I don't know. Like, how do you feel about that? I a hundred percent. I believe that. Yes. It's just weird that because, like I said, the whole time we're watching this movie. From what I remember, we're all cracking jokes, but maybe it was just me who's cracking jokes, and I just thought everybody was on board Mm. because I got a laugh or two. And I feel like when I watch movies with a group of people that it's some stupid movie like this, I do, you know, say stuff, and I'm, uh, you know, maybe I'm trying to be funny sometimes to an extent, but it wasn't like I wasn't trying to enjoy it because I and they listened to this podcast, I think. So, <laughs> I don't know if they know this, but I mean, I try to not be negative when you and I watch movies. And I've noticed this. I was telling Jess, uh, that's my fiance's name is Jess. I'm just going to start calling her that from now on. But uh, I've talked about Jess, or I've talked about this with Jess before. When you and I get together, we just shit on movies. Like when we <laughs> watch a movie together, unless it's a really good unless movie. Unless it's good. Unless yeah. it's a good movie. And and or if it's in a theater, then we shut the fuck up because that's what you're supposed to do in a theater. <clears throat> Call back to... Tomorrow. Yeah. But um, <laughs> but I just... I don't know. And I, I do want to have a quick say on a thought that, like I said, we have a, an interesting relationship with Vin Diesel movies. I, I've thought about it. I put some thought into it. And I think that Vin Diesel needs to top himself every time for it to stick out to us. Because I think we both mentioned in talking together that we thought that this movie was fairly boring, right? I mean, I mean, it, compared to like as, his last installments of Fast and the Furious well, movies. Well, exactly. We had nothing but everything in this. We was like, this was so crazy, this and that for F9. But then this one 
when we got together to talk about it, and even now talking about it, it's not like I don't even have scenes that really stood out to me other than like I, the ones I already mentioned, where he's running through the plane, <laughs> or <laughs> or you know skiing down the mountain. It looks like the the riders played a little too much just cause. I'm surprised he didn't wingsuit down the mountain. <laughs> but, like, but I don't know. I mean, I guess I, guess I can understand it. It's, it's fun because it's so stupid, whatever, right? But I just, we, I know I in particular, I didn't, it wasn't fun no. to me. It was just like my, my eyes hurt from rolling into the back of my head so many times. And my biggest gripe with this, and it's not even with the movie, it's with the platform we watched it on. Oh, but God, yeah. Peacock is a newer platform that just came out. We watched Halloween Kills on it. And it was it was a good experience. Like you watch the movie, whatever, fine. This movie, for whatever reason, even though we're paying for this ad-free experience. Yeah, Peacock Premium. For me to get through this movie, I had to watch six ads, at which point, I think during the fourth ad, it said are you still watching? And I had to turn on my PlayStation remote to select yes or no. And I'm sure they did that because they were probably like, yeah, there's no way people are still watching at this point. <laughs> so they're trying to do you a solid. I don't know. Like what you keep saying, maybe it's just us. But I know that's great. That's, I thought the same thing when I started playing it. I was like, wait, why? You said you telling me I'm paying for Peacock Premium, but this movie is available to everyone with ads, no matter what. Anyway, yeah. like what? What is the point of paying your premium cost if you're gonna? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I I don't know, man. But let's continue on with our frustrations. Let's jump into Saturday. Okay, this is our theater experience. We saw Last Night in Soho, which again. I really enjoyed the movie. I'm sure Scott has different opinions because he was very frustrated with the theater experience that we both had. I don't, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how I felt about the movie because I didn't watch or wasn't able to watch a decent chunk of it. I was so distracted. I'm serious. I was so angry by the end of the movie at these people that I, I couldn't even hear the movie over my heartbeat. I was just so furious. So I don't know. It's just so frustrating that people are so, some people are so oblivious and just don't give a shit about anyone else in the theater. Whether, you know, and I got the vibe that this guy, I just got the vibe that he started getting bored with the movie, which fine, but get the fuck up and go. Mm-hmm. Like leave then. Yeah. Why are you sticking around? Like don't. And then he was with, another person and he was the only one talking she talked a few times but he was talking the whole fucking movie it's like i don't know how if i was with someone that was doing that even even without regard for anyone else in the theater even if i was the most selfish fucking prick in the world and i had someone who was talking to me throughout a movie that i was trying to watch yeah you would play i still i I would tell them the movie started (laughs) that's what we would say (laughs) but no seriously I would be pissed I've had that experience before I've been to a movie with someone who wouldn't shut up and I fucking told him to shut the fuck up yeah you know (sighs) anyway I what the hell did we watch so last night in Soho it takes place in Vanicky Cauldron 
Yes, okay, it takes place in London. Um, and I couldn't help every time they referred to in London in this movie, uh, the Harry Potter That's scene. That's the first thing Mitch says after we get out the theater after he let me calm Vent. down a little bit. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he goes, he goes, man, all I could think about that whole movie was it's the leaky culture, and that's in London. <laughs> uh, like, but are yeah. you serious? So, Last Night in Soho uh, by acclaimed director Edgar Wright. Uh, follows his psychological thriller, and Eloise, who is an inspiring fashion designer, is mysteriously able to enter the 1960s where she encounters a dazzling wannabe singer, Sandy. But the glamour is not all it appears to be, and the dreams of the past start to crack and splinter into something far darker. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change my mood. Force a mood change. Edgar Wright is the master of synchronized sound and transitions. He, yeah. Just so, if you don't know who Edgar Wright is, he, he's done a lot, but I, at least most notably to me, and I would think to probably most people, is the, the, the Simon Pegg, Nick Frost saga of Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, At World's End. Yeah. And those movies are... I've, I love those movies. Those mm-hmm. movies are fantastic. And they're all in service of comedy in those mostly, but it's, you know, timing of things and the transitions of dialogue or the transitions of visual stuff and scenes or the, it's just everything is so meticulously put together. Yes, there's a lot of purpose story. behind so, things, yeah. which we've talked about this episode that sometimes it's lost. But sure. in this situation... Oh, it was incredible to see that too in this movie in something that isn't a comedy. Mm-hmm. You know, using that in a different kind of way, the same tools to evoke a different kind of response. The first three quarters of this movie were I've incredible. I loved it. Um, I really enjoyed this movie. But I don't even want to speak on the ending much because I, like I said, I don't know. Yeah, I'd have to watch this movie again to be able to really process because. At the moment, I will say that it it just kind of lost me, and I don't know if that was entirely influenced by the experience or if there was something to it. And we'll so we'll discuss that. But but the first part of the movie, what what are your thoughts? I really enjoyed this movie. Uh, I think kind of, and again, I was not as flustered as Scott was throughout this film, just because I'd say within the past few months, I've had a experience so much worse. So like this just didn't even seem like a big deal to me. But the film was really good. I think it set up its characters well. It made you have investment in what you were doing. As Scott kind of mentioned, just everything from the cinematography to the lighting to the sound was just so meticulously placed and had purpose. You couldn't help but stay engaged throughout the film. Oh, yeah. And obviously, like, it had its twists and turns as psychological thrillers, horrors are going to tend to do, right? I found myself very pleased with the film overall. Uh, There are scenes that I think about, like, anytime uh, Sandy and Eloise were in a situation together where you were seeing one kind of in real life and then the other in the mirror, gave me those Candyman vibes of things that we talked about that we really enjoyed of just thinking about the, how did you film that? How did you do that? Because it was really well done. It was really creative and gave a really good perception as to like what was going on in the film. That she was embodied or embodying her, 
the swap outs, uh-huh. like the dance scene. Oh, there's a dance scene where they're, I thought that was great. Yeah, essentially, like you're using like you're using like this mask around one of the characters to hide the transition of another character coming into play, or they were doing it creative enough to where the camera angle was set. They were actually probably even interchanging the actors or actresses. Physically, yeah. Either way, it was really incredibly done, and it was so seamless and flawless that (laughs) it just like you couldn't help but smile and be like, "Wow, this is this is incredible." It's great, yeah. Uh, there's one thing that n- was notable to me, and again, I don't think I'll talk too much on maybe the end or okay. the maybe we just leave it the spoiler. See it. Yeah, you know, <laughs> uh, but actually, I can't even use that because that foreshadows. There's a there's a scene of foreshadowing that I really appreciated. <laughs> oh, and I don't know if I should say it or not. We said spoilers. We, we said spoilers. spoilers. Now, if you didn't prepare for spoilers. Well, here's spoilers. If you want to see the movie, probably should not have started <laughs> listening. <laughs> we could do like other, like, there's other people that do that, review movies or whatever. Yeah, but we'd have to do it for seven movies. Jump to this timestamp, <laughs> flashing on screen. That's YouTube. We can't do that. We'd have to do it but. for seven movies. Maybe. <laughs> it's not just like, oh, yeah, we'll talk yeah. about non spoilers the and then spoilers. <laughs> Like pretty much once you hit this point in the podcast, like expect spoilers. Expect it. I'm gonna say it anyways. If we cut it out, whatever. Okay. And if we leave it in, cool. <laughs> okay. Just say it. Um. So there's a piece of foreshadowing I enjoyed in the beginning. Uh, Diana Rigg was mentioning when Eloise's character was moving into the house. She said, "Hopefully you don't mind the smell of garlic, especially in the summertime." Because she was mentioning there's a garlic factory or something next door. It was, a, it was like a restaurant. It was just an Italian restaurant. Either or a way, French restaurant. There was, was something that yeah. the you know it sparked the smell of garlic. But I did some research on it. So a decomposing body creates a gas called dimethyl disulfide uh, that tends to attract flies as well as the odor of foul garlic. And this is foreshadowing because the house is filled with dead bodies that Sandy or Mrs. Collins has killed previously in the past. Under the floor. Under the floorboards. I didn't even know that. Isn't that crazy? Like, see, there's so many things in this movie that are just so, like, ah, everything is relevant, right? Yes. Everything, there's no superfluous crap thrown in just to pad time or, you know, like the entire length of spectrum. <laughs> no, just kidding. So, no, it was just like, it, that was just one of those things that I was just like, wow, that is incredible. Like, that is so amazing that there's that much thought to, like, that line had purpose and it had a payoff and there was just like, Oh, I just loved it. And it wasn't to push dialogue. It wasn't to put a, push the plot forward. It was like, you know, you, you might think about it or you might even disregard it and have no idea. But like yeah. there was purpose behind it and I loved That's it. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Just go see the movie. It was enjoyable. I, I can't imagine you would find this less enjoyable than Triple X, <laughs> Return of Xander Cage. <laughs> <laughs> and people love that, so... This was definitely one of the better movies that we saw this week and probably even this year. And I don't know. I think it was worthy Agreed. of a, a, a theater experience if you get the chance. If you are lucky enough to not have people to ruin your night. So Sunday. <laughs> yeah, we watched uh, Army of Thieves, which is the prequel to Army of the Dead. Yes, Army of Thieves, uh, prequel set before the events of Army of the Dead which is what a prequel is, so it feels redundant to have put that in the synopsis, which focuses on German safecracker Ludwig Dieter, 
leading a group of aspiring thieves on a top-secret heist during the early stages of the zombie apocalypse. That's a nice touch, because I believe his name in Army of the Dead is Ludwig Dieter. Well, yeah, so and you saw at the end of the... he's not that at all in this movie. Well, you saw at the end of the film, when right. he got his passport, he became Ludwig Dieter, but his name is actually Sebastian, uh, Un- last name unknown. Yeah, That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a running thing in the movie. But... Um, this was our last movie of the week, so our Sunday movie, as we kind of explored. Tell me about tell me about this movie, Mitch. Tell me how you feel. <sighs> okay, so I've never seen Army of the Dead, so yeah, I I think that might have changed my perception of things because I don't know. Pick this, I I thought you did, so I thought we'd have a little better discussion. See, I thought this was that, completely but... separate. I had no idea even choosing it, and. I'm sure there's a lot of good tie-ins into Army of the Dead that I didn't see of like things, either characters you recognize or plot points or whatever it may be. And I could be absolutely wrong because I've never seen the movie. But in my experience watching this, I'm not saying it was a bad movie. I'm not really saying it was a good movie. It just was a movie that I feel like you can only have so much excitement around somebody who puts their ear up to a safe and cracks a lock three times. (laughs) Like There's only so much excitement you can do. One of which is the third safe that they break into is in the back of a moving truck flying down a hill as they're essentially running away from both people who double-crossed them and Interpol. And all I could think of in that scene is he's on his final combination. It's a seven-lock pin, whatever they want to call it, okay? And he's about to, to lock it, and the car, the truck swerves causing him to fly to the other side, and the pin doesn't lock down into place. So he walks up to it and treats it like a freaking vending machine that doesn't give you your candy, and he hits it real hard with his hand, and it falls into place, and well, it he, allows him to... He caresses it first, right? He speaks to it. Yeah, then. but I'm saying, though, it's like, oh, it's my, I put my money in. The candy didn't fall out. Let's just <laughs> shake the machine or hit it real hard, and hopefully uh. my Skittles will fall out. And... That's all I could think about in this last scene of like, he's like hitting this, you know, this majestic safe that's supposed to be world renowned and nobody could ever open it. And all it takes is just a little, you know, a little little love tap on the front. (laughs) If you think into this movie too hard, shit don't make sense. (laughs) Sure. And I, I don't think we disagree a whole lot on this movie. Um, and this is one that we watched together that I feel like we were we were throwing around pretty negative stuff the whole time. Uh, but I will say, I didn't love this movie, but it was fine. I mean, I will I'll be honest. I watched a part of this movie again. We watched it in the morning together. And then later that day, I watched it. Uh, part of it again with my fiance and dad. And I had a little bit of a different experience. So this is another interesting, you know, depending on the experience of of who we watch it with changes mm-hmm. how we think of the movie and how we how we interpret and experience the movie. And I got a lot more vibe when we first watched it, I I got a little bit of a of an idea that they were being intentionally parodying heist movies. And exactly. And so in seeing a few scenes again, I took it more as a parody. And I don't know if that was the intent or if that was in second viewing and not really caring, you know, because I wasn't really watching attentively. I just kind of, I was working on my laptop sitting down there while they watched it. 
So I tuned in a few times, but I just thought that was interesting where we both kind of came out of this movie after watching it together, not really liking it. Um, and then after viewing that, I have a different kind of appreciation for it, I suppose. You know what I mean? Okay, I guess my one thing with this movie, and it's, again, not seeing Army of the Dead. And I've read up a lot of stuff on Army of the Dead and watched videos about it because it intrigued me. It interested, or it made, there's things interesting about it to me, especially like they had to replace an entire character in the film. Like there's a lot of things yeah, that's crazy. That I liked about it. And I watched parts of the film and just the style just wasn't for me. So I never bought into it. But from my understanding in this and something that, I don't know, it doesn't, is not relevant now that I've done more research. But when I was watching Army of Thieves, I was like, why does any of this matter if there's a zombie outbreak? Like, <laughs> why is, like, why does anybody care if we're going to just eventually get to this zombie land-esque style of living where everybody's running around and just trying to survive? Like, what does the bank and the vaults have to do with anything? Yeah. And obviously, after more research, I find out that it's contained zombies in Las Vegas and the rest of the world still just kind of living their life, I guess. Right. So it, it, that, that helps things. But I was like, God, like, there's a freaking zombie apocalypse and you guys are like, yeah, let's go track a safe. It's like, no, I, that's not how you prepare for your zombie apocalypse. <laughs> well, yeah, even so, it's still an interesting kind of idea to have a prequel to something that a lot of people would think is kind of a heist movie in a zombie setting. To have this being a uh, what was in Army of the Dead very much a side character mm -hmm. and the, the prequel focuses on him and he becomes, you know, you get more of his story. And I thought that was kind of interesting because you don't see that a lot where you get a prequel to a story that has a completely different protagonist and, you know, yeah. is only kind of set in the same world, but it still ties in. But uh, I don't know. I, some good things about this movie, I do want to say, is I thought the music was great. Mm -hmm. I thought the music helped with the tone of things. It kept things light. I think it lost some of it toward the end of the movie when it started what I would say maybe taking itself a little too seriously. But again, I, you know, that may be just misinterpreted as it's, it's intentionally over the top because it is an entire movie of a list of cliches of a heist movie, yeah. right? I mean, even to the point where they reference it in the movie where there's a scene where they're doing the, the rundown of their first heist talking about you know, what's what's happening as they're doing it, as heist movies do. And then they're sitting in the van after, and, and the main guy goes, oh, th there's no way it's that easy. And they, it pans to all the other ones sitting in the truck, and they're like, oh, it's already done. <laughs> and he looks down at the bag of money that's sitting in his lap. And it's like, it's, it's so goofy and stupid that it, it's not as serious as I think maybe we took it. And that'd be interesting to, to rewatch kind of, I, again, I think the frustration of our weekend and some things that happened this weekend. Maybe we didn't have the best mindset going into it. Again, like we both said, it wasn't a bad movie. Maybe it necessarily wasn't a good movie, but I did appreciate, you know, that the lockpicking lawyer finally got his movie that he's been asking for <laughs> all this time. And that, uh, you know, uh, Brad Cage or Tiny Huge Jackman <laughs> yeah, or Small Ackman. Yeah, Small Ackman. Small Ackman. Small yeah. Ackman finally. Uh, As opposed to Huge Ackman. <laughs> made it up on the bid screen. So, <laughs> Yeah, uh, there's, there's plenty more little things in this movie we could talk about. But how are you feeling at the end of this? Do you think anything changed? Do you feel good about next week? 
I don't even know what the movies are for next week. Well, um, yeah. But. <laughs> so that might change my views, but... How are you feeling after three weeks, you know? It's all right. I mean, there's a lot of... I don't know, as life gets busier and trying to schedule around movies and making sure you watch everything, it's, it's getting hard, it's getting difficult. It's getting tough, yeah. Um, and then, obviously, all the work that's going into actually recording of the podcast itself, I think something that we weren't quite prepared for. It's and, definitely a an interesting balancing act, and we'll continue to run into things that we didn't expect that mm-hmm. are cause you know causing these, as you mentioned, with recording and other things. But uh, I'm still having fun with it. I think that that's part of the experience, right? Is we get better each week at certain things, but then I feel like we get thrown certain curveballs. But I feel like at some point after after this week. I feel like at some point we're going to have just that that dialed in week where we're in the zone and you know we start getting we're so used to doing this that it's just maybe we start being able to review the movies better because we're just <laughs> used to having all of this movie I mean, it's, it's definitely an overstimulation right now right I mean I think we both came in with the idea that this was going to be 50% kind of about the movies but also about the experience and what we're learning, not only as maybe movie watchers, but podcasters as... We had a lot of discussion, I think, in this episode about not movies. Yes. Or not the movies, right? Particular scenarios around the movies and interesting stuff. And I hope, I mean, that was kind of our goal with this, right? Is I hope that continues and we're starting to see some interesting things that I'm I'm excited to see develop and see what what new next week, right? What what's new to come? What Yeah, the new challenge or Hopefully new... we can see a theater movie and not want to punch a hole in the wall. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. But <laughs> But yeah, thanks for tuning in with us for another week of movie watching. Be sure to check us out on our Twitter and Instagram at NDNM Podcast or at our website ndnmpodcast.com either way catch you later (laughs) see you next week one two three bye bye bye